Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. On this day, October 31st, 1517, a young man nailed 95 challenges to a church door. The sound of the hammer awakened the world. As a new day dawned, the Reformation began and the world changed. On this day, October 31st, 1904, a pure-hearted young man calmly spoke the goodness of God to a small gathering of young people in Wales. The sound of his voice awakened the world. As the new day dawned, the Welsh revival began and changed the world. On this day. As I was preparing to minister today, I, I, I can actually pull out a couple sermons and give you some scriptures and Maybe you might get saved if you wanted to. I just felt like Jesus told me to chill out and hang out a little bit. That he, he, he had something he wanted to do. And normally that means he doesn't tell me because I'll screw it up. <laughs> you know? So, so I kind of have half of a plan. Um, and we'll ask Jesus to fill in the other half. But I, I really want to talk about the three books that I wrote. When I got saved in 1993, uh, Jesus walked to the wall and uh, pretty well said, you're going to choose me or I'm going to let hell kill you. I got saved. So I met a king when I met Jesus. I didn't meet sweet baby Jesus laying in a manger who who loved me and all that. I, I met a king who loved me and he started challenging the brokenness in my heart, the brokenness of my character. And uh, he scared me. See, I, I, I met the king that had life and death in his hands and he was willing to use it to get me to behave. Because see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I got real smart real quick. Don't mess with God. See, I had proven I wasn't afraid of God. I had proven that I wasn't afraid of my wife. I had cheated for years. You know, people are, well, I can't cheat. I'm afraid of my wife. You ain't afraid of your wife. You cheat if you want to because cheating was in my heart. I was a cheater. So that night when I knelt down and told God the reality of who I was, if he didn't give me a new heart, I could never serve him. And that night he gave me a new heart. That night I had the reality of who God was. I met him face to face. I had a problem is I couldn't read. I had a learning disability. I read at about a second or third grade level. And my first thing to God was, how am I going to have a relationship with you when I can't read? He goes, hey, let me introduce you to my friend. And he introduced me to the Holy Spirit. And he said, he's a teacher. So we're just going to fill you up with him and give him an hour every day and he'll teach you to read. I read pretty good. Can't spell worth a flip, but I can read. <laughs> and so the fact that, you know, when Susie wrote in the front of this book, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. I've written, I've written three books now. When you read them, you'll go, he still can't really write. <laughs> I am bilingual. I speak redneck. <laughs> but this, this book, Church Fathers versus Kingdom Sons, is really a, a great book to help you get, away, get out of religion and get into relationship 
with God as a father. You know, if, if, if God didn't want a family, he'd call himself something other than father. And, and that's, that's really what I believe God is going to do this morning. Some of you have been resisting the father and he's been wanting to kiss you. And because of our lifestyles or our shame or whatever, we stiff arm him. And I really feel like my assignment is to break that stiff arm away because the father wants to kiss his kids. And the problem is that some of us are such adults that we're not childlike. And the scripture is very clear. Come to me as a child. And if you're not childlike, you'll never let God the Father kiss you. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my part of setting that stage. See, Jack Taylor came into my life. Papa Jack, in Susie's words, the greatest change of me was the night Jesus walked through the wall. The second greatest change in me was when I met Jack Taylor. I met, I met a spiritual father that loved me. And oh, trust me, I challenged. And he still loved me. I waited for a spanking or a list of things that I did wrong for four years. And the only thing he would do is, boy, would you please learn to lean back? You're a lean forward, make it happen. Lean back. That's all he said. I hated that. Because that means I couldn't control, I couldn't manipulate, I couldn't lean, lean back. Lean back is for sissies. After four years of being loved by a spiritual father, I started realizing that I didn't let God the Father love me. And God the Father, I mean, I wrote the book, figured out fathering and kings and all that stuff, the kingdom, but I still didn't let the Father love me. And when Jack Taylor came into my life, I realized it's not the rules and regulations, it's relationship. And I learned to let him kiss me as a father and to nurture me. My first banking with Jack is uh, he used to do meetings with uh, Charles Carnan and uh, uh, R.T. Kendall and, and Charles was sick on a week and he asked me to fill in for him. I'm like, hey, I have finally arrived. And so I, I did really good. I thought I preached pretty good. And I prophesied a little bit and afterwards he's like, let's go to my house. <clears throat> and I sat there and he says, um, you've been waiting for a spanking a long time tonight. You're getting one. I'm like, what the heck did I do? I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't use any bad language, and I am capable of that. <laughs> I really thought I did good. And, and he, he wrote a check, and he says, this is what Charles gets when he preaches for me. And he hands it to me and says, you'll never get another one if you do what you did this weekend. I said, what did I do? He said, you held back, and you weren't you. You think I would be embarrassed of you if you really turned your gift loose and you weren't who God created you to be and you did it to please me and you'll never see another check for me and I'll never open another door for you. I'm like, dang, that, that guy's serious about me. And see, this, this is what real fathering does. And I'm telling you, this. Jack died in April. My own natural father, man of God, we had issues. The, the name of the book is Church Fathers versus Kingdom Sons, and there's a boxing thing. That was me and my dad. 
See, in 1997, my mom, three weeks before she died, she went to heaven, had an encounter with Jesus. She called me. She goes, I need to talk to you. And she was having surgery the next day. She says, I, I went to heaven and me and Jesus talked about you. And she says, I know the gift that you are. I know the gift that you carry. I saw your ministry and I saw your life. And here's what she said. She says, but if you don't deal with your father correctly, you'll never be successful in your ministry. I said, what do you mean? Your father's a man of faith. He's not a man of the spirit. And your dad is going to do everything he can to kill that gift in you. But if you, if you don't learn to do war with honor, you'll never be successful. She said, if, if and when your father can submit and see what's in it and you win his heart, then you can be used in ministry. This is your test, not his. Learn to do war with honor. She died three weeks later and my dad and I started clashing because I didn't go to seminary. I didn't, I left the assemblies of God. I didn't do this way. He didn't like prophets and I said I was one. It just crash, 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 crash. So I had to go to God. My father in heaven, how do I win my dad's heart? And he showed me things. I went to my dad and I said, dad, did you ever cheat on mom? Shouldn't ever accuse your father of that. You should reword that another way. Uh, he was not real happy about that accusation, but I, he goes, why? Well, I saw our family inheritance and there's a brother that has been born with your DNA between me and Pam and none of us know about him. And he went, you saw that? Yeah, and he went and got paperwork. My mom had five months pregnant with a male child. But we never, our kids, we didn't know she had a miscarriage. The, the baby, and it was a male. And he goes, what else? And I said, oh, who was the man who beat you at 12 years old? He goes, how'd you see that? I said, I, there was a man who beat you at 12, dad. And he went and he got an obituary that he kept in a little box. And he goes, that SOB. I'm like, you're still calling him an SOB from 12? He had heart. He, he was wounded. He, my grandfather died when he was 11. And this man came into my grandmother's life and he, would, he beat my dad. And my dad harbored that wound. And that's where his meanness came from. That's where his religion came from. And God used these spiritual encounters to unlock my dad's heart. So I was trying to win my dad. Sometimes you got to do war and still honor. So I had to go back to God the Father. It's like, listen, give me something else. I pop into heaven and there's this big, big blonde guy with big muscles. Hey, Charlie, how you doing? I'm like, good, who are you? He goes, I'm Carl. I said, who are you? And he goes, I'm your brother. You know, the baby that the father didn't let live on earth? I'm like, Carl, yeah, I mean, he had big muscles. I said, he goes, I go, why? He goes, listen, I would have done more damage to you than others did, and you wouldn't be doing your ministry. It was better that I didn't live. But mom and I have been praying for you. I'm like, okay, this is weird. So I said, God, I get out of this encounter. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, write it all down. Go talk to your dad. Hey, dad, remember when I accused you of messing up? 
Yeah, and I go, I met your son, my brother in heaven. And I said, what were you gonna name him? He goes, I can remember this today. Your mother and I got into the biggest fight because I wanted to name him Charles Layton Coker Jr. Like I named you because if I had a son, that's what he was going to be named. And she was adamant she was going to name him Carl. I open a book and he starts weeping. He started giving me his heart. God started healing him. And I, at 85 years old, he asked me, when are you going to break this orphan thing off me? And teach me to know God like you do. And I started fathering my father at 85 years old. God the Father is looking to kiss his kids. And then I'm telling you, you're sitting in a church that is preparing you to be kissed by God the Father. Papa Jack died in April. My dad died a couple years ago. But Jack died in April. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Got into the prayer room and I hugged Billy and I felt the same fathering anointing on him that I did Jack Taylor. And I haven't cried till this morning over Jack's death. There's a fathering anointing in this house. There's fathers in this house. And I'm telling you, if you want to come to maturity, you want to quit being an angry orphan, come find God the Father. See, everybody in our movement, we go, oh, I'm an orphan, I'm an orphan. No, some of you are a hobo. (laughs) See, an orphan doesn't have the option of a father or a house to come and work in. I'm telling you, you have a family to come be part of. So you're not going to be an orphan. There's fathers here that will love you. And I'm, this is not male gender. Mommies are too. We'll get to that later. But some of you would rather be a hobo. See, a hobo rejects, I don't want to be a father, and I don't want to do it. And so you brown bag them and they go. So there's no excuses if you want to know God of the Father, you want to come to maturity. So I recommend this book, really good book. I don't recommend this book, even though I had to write it. The title of this book is From Rape to Righteousness, Redeeming the Bride of Christ. It's mine and Susie's story. I got raped at seven at knife point, and that wound never got healed. Hurt people, hurt people. The man that did it to me murdered two people out west of town two years later and died on death row. And I carried that wound. I carried that. um, I went to his mom and dad, which were deacons in the church, friends of my mom and dad. They said they would meet with my parents and they would fix this thing. And I never heard anything about it. And I'm telling you, the enemy will use the wounds that has happened to your life against you. And so what I did as a seven-year-old felt like my dad was not protecting me and dealing with an abuse and no one talked about it 
And I felt like he didn't want to make the church look bad. So I never trusted my father. He heard that story when I preached at a men's conference. And he started weeping. I'm like, why is he crying? He had never heard the story. And he comes up to me. He goes, what did that do to our relationship? I said, I haven't trusted you in 25 years. The enemy will play everybody against you to destroy you. What I like to do is expose it and nail it on the cross and use it to heal others. I actually date raped my wife the night she got pregnant with our oldest son. I was engaged to be married to someone else because hurt people hurt people, except she didn't press charges. She prayed. We wound up getting married because I did repent two years later. Yes. What am I saying? I repented. I went back to Jesus, but I still had wounds. Got involved in the church, was a youth leader, saw the shenanigans of church leaders not living right, and I used that for an excuse and backslid and went back into the world and came back worse than I ever was. But in 1993, when he came through the wall and introduced himself to me, everything changed. We were in the middle of a divorce. I, I really, you know how blinding sin is? I still, to this day, I didn't think, why would she leave me? I'm so... She even laughs, like, you really don't understand. I hated you. <laughs> I'm like, I loved me. <laughs> I'm a narcissist. <laughs> you know? But the night Jesus walked to the wall and healed me and told me he wanted to use me, he gave me the title of that book, From Rape to Righteousness, Redeeming the Bride of Christ. He says, when you finish redeeming your bride, I'll trust you with mine. When I tell you our journey has not been easy, it hasn't been easy, but it is fruitful. I had such a bad character. I was so afraid. I actually, God taught me how to love my wife and fell in love with her. But he promised to heal my marriage. But then I said to God, God, you can't trust me. I'm going to hurt her again. I'm going to cheat. I'm a cheater. And so I argued with God and I finally said, listen, let her... Let, just let us get divorced. Let her find somebody that will love her. Let her, see, real, real love will give yourself a good report card, an honest one. And I was doing an honest report card. It's not if I never cheated, but when I cheated. Whether it's six months, five years, in the right conditions, I was a cheater. And so I was being honest with God is you can't trust me. Thanks for the promise, but no thank you. For three days, he argued with me. Is this the only issue? That's, that's the issue. And he says, what if I guaranteed you you would never touch another woman inappropriately for the rest of your life? I said, you can guarantee that? And he laughed. He goes, I'm God. <laughs> he says, get up. Put your Bible on the ground. Stand on your Bible. And he audibly spoke with words of thunder and the windows in my house rattled. Charles Layton Coker Jr., you ever touch another woman inappropriately, I'll kill you stone dead. I really haven't had a problem since. 
Cheating is the furthest thing from my mind. But that's what it took. I recommend Rape to Righteousness because rape is nothing but forced intimacy. And the church has been forcing intimacy on God's people without relationship. We're supposed to be family. The church has made it rules and regulations. And I'm telling you, we, spiritual rape is going to stop. And the body of Christ is going to start having relationships that are healthy and whole. I recommend that book. Now, here's the issue. So because God said he would kill me if I touched other, other touched a woman inappropriately, I wouldn't get around women. They scared. I mean, you're going to kill me. I, when I, ain't, I, ain't, I mean, I barely say hi. You know, give me a hug. I'm like, you're getting a shoulder. <laughs> but the thing is, God healed me. And, and, and the problem is that we were actually in, in New York and, and this husband and wife pastor team and the Holy Spirit opens up and he goes, Whoosh. she's abused when she was nine. She needs healing. Her spirit is broken. You go hug her. I've anointed your hug. I want you to go embrace her and I'm going to heal her. I'm like, no, nope. I don't hug women. Remember, you won't kill me. And he goes, I need to heal her. You go hug her. And he, I argued with him. He goes, listen, your wife's here. Her husband's here. Go heal my daughter. I did, and I hugged it, and it was the most non-sexual intimacy I'd ever experienced. It was spirit to spirit. It was like, holy moly, this is God. And we talked afterwards, and it scared me, and, and, and a lot. So the next night I was preaching at another church and this 22-year-old girl named Sandy was the pastor's friend. God says, she's broken, go hug her. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. Got out in the car and she goes, what's wrong? I'm like, God told me to go hug that Sandy. And she goes, why didn't you? I'm like, she's 22, Pat's 55 and ugly. No way, I am not. And And I refused to do it. I was scared. And she looked at me and she says, you know what? I trust you and God trusts you. You don't trust yourself. The next night, she was actually at another meeting and I did. Then I got home and God started having people from Texas visiting people and I had to hug another lady in my own church. I'm like, what the heck? And God says, I'm gonna give you a dream tonight. And if you answer it incorrectly, I'll never use you again. Went to bed that night. My daughter-in-law was pregnant with my uh, granddaughter, uh, Madison, she was like seven months pregnant. In this dream, Madison was two and a half years old. We were downtown to land and all the store owners that know me, hey, you know, beautiful little granddaughter and she's ballerina outfit and everything's great until about two o'clock in the afternoon, she poops her pants. Now I got to change her diaper. So I go around, I get the diaper bag out. I got the door open in my car. I'm getting ready to take her pampers off and there's a balcony of some things and there's people up there. I'm like, nah. I made a conscious decision in this dream not to change her pants, knowing that she'd have diaper butt, you know, burn and rash and my wife is gonna yell at me and they would never trust me with my granddaughter because I wouldn't. And I'm like, I wake up, I'm like, that's not me. I, I'm not afraid of blood and guts and poop. And he goes, no, you're afraid of accusation. And if you're not gonna love my girls, you're not going to heal the broken ballerinas. 
I'll never use you again. So I hug women now. <laughs> but he gave me an angel. My angel shows up with a porcelain repair kit. He's been running around here this morning, so this is why I'm going there. And when this angel shows up, people that have been abused, people that have broke, broken places in your spirit, God's going to heal that today if you want it. One hug, maybe one kiss on the cheek. Because I figured out that the cross did more than forgive me of my sins. The third book I wrote was Baptism of Innocence. The other side of the cross. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and I had a vision and I wound up wrapped around the cross. <laughs> I looked up and Jesus was hanging on the cross and where they had pierced his side, blood was coming down and it came all the way down his thigh. It came around and it went on the top of his knee and the blood came all the way here and it, one drop came off the end of his toe and hit me on my head. And what he did, this peace came over me. One drop, he cleansed me. He changed everything. One drop of his blood healed. I, be, I was transformed and I felt innocent as a child. And I, from that encounter, I learned how to crawl in Papa's lap. I learned how to embrace him as a father and let him embrace me as a child, his child. As I was having this encounter, and I started, I was preaching part of this when I was going through it, and, and I told this encounter, and, and, and this is where the wife gets mad. Anyway, the Lord said to me, he said, did you notice me on the cross that I was a circumcised Jew? I'm like, yeah, I kind of noticed. He didn't have a loincloth on. See, in, in, in Jesus' day, the worst form of shame is to show nakedness. And they wanted to make them feel the worst and have shame. And so he was naked. And so as I was preaching this one time, I said he was naked balls and all. It, goes, it gets better after a while, doesn't it, Susie? <laughs> See, because not only did he take away your sin, he took away your shame. You, you're, you're hearing bits and pieces of my story. If I still had shame, do you think I could share it? I ain't got no shame because I'm not that man anymore. And he took away my shame. And because I had no shame, I learned how to crawl on Papa's lap because I knew he loved me. I said that balls and all. And there's a lady on the front row of my church, been a pastor for years, came from, from Nebraska. She starts weeping, uncontrollable, weeping. Well, I got done preaching, got in the car and I got a tongue lash and she's like, why are you keep using that kind of language? You could have said testicles. Testicles don't make it, baby. That ain't what I heard. And God said to say it this way. And I did. And man, she was ripping me bad. And I'm like, I don't care. That submissiveness was not in the room. 
and, and, and thank God, once in a while you get, you know, God will come in and protect you because this lady calls at five o'clock. Pastor, do you notice that when you said that, I started weeping. She goes, I need to tell you what happened. She said, when I got home, I shared with my, my husband and my, my son there that when he said that, the shame of my life that I've been carrying for over 50 years fell off of me. And I shared with him that I had fathered, that I had birthed a male son and put him up for adoption. And nobody has ever known it. And that has haunted me my whole life. And I shared it with him finally because the shame was gone. And I finally, and my husband was like, well, I would have adopted him. She goes, I didn't even know you or like you then. But she had carried the shame. Two hours later, she gets a phone call. Her older son says, mom, I need to talk to you about something. She goes, what? Did you have a baby boy? One of the cousins had done ancestry and they had figured it out. It had to be her. Within six hours of God taking the shame off of her, she's in a conversation with a baby she put up for adoption. I'm telling you, if we can get rid of the shame and get baptized in innocence like a child again, we can have a, a lap dance with Jesus. That didn't sound good. We could, we could <laughs> take that out. <laughs> We can crawl in Papa's lap and it'd be innocent and pure. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> wow. Where do you go from here? <laughs> I'm innocent. <laughs> Jesus baptized me with innocence, and two days later after that, I was preaching a conference. I looked out in the crowd, an ex-spiritual son and I that had gotten sideways. It was terrible. Our relationship was bad. He had got into an adulterous relationship, wound up divorced, just blew up relationships and wanted to justify it, and that's just not my makeup. We had kind of kissed and made up to her, we could kind of be in the same room. I had experienced this baptism of innocence and, and I'm getting ready to preach and the Lord, uh, Lord says, hey, you see Randy? I'm like, yeah. He said, you two have forgiven each other enough to be in the same room. Go declare him innocent though. I'm like, I ain't doing that. Do you know what he did? And I saw a list of all the things he did all the things he did to other people, things he accused me of because I made a stand against him. I heard the Lord say, if you don't burn up the paperwork you hold against him, you can never declare him innocent. And that isn't what love does. And I had to burn the paperwork up because he did ask for forgiveness. And let me tell you something. When, when you ask for forgiveness, Jesus says... You're forgiven because of what I did at the cross. He also took away your shame, but I'm telling you what, he burns up your past. And if we never learn this, we will never exercise John chapter 20 when he breathes on his disciples and be filled with the Holy Spirit and says, whosoever sins you forgive, they'll be forgiven. Whosoever sins you retain, they'll be retained. 
That's the greater work. He's already done the cross work. He's given us the power to forgive sin. Unless you want to hold the paper, Lord, like I did. So I walked up to him. I mean, when the Lord says, you know, I don't know if you figured it out. I'm pretty stubborn. I said, can I do it after I preach? He said, no, do it now or you'll never preach again. I love his threats. And I went up and told him, I said, Randy, we've forgiven each other not to be in the room. I said, but I declare you innocent. And he just broke and started weeping and started crying. I was crying. I'm like, what is it? I heard the Lord say, this is one of the mysteries of the kingdom, that if my children can pick up the baptism of innocence and be baptized for what I've already given them, they'll be able to burn up the paperwork of those that have wounded them, those that have betrayed them, and actually walk in love and see the miraculous side of my kingdom. So I want to I invite you to the altar this morning. If you need a kiss for the baptism of innocence, I'll kiss you on the cheek. If you need a hug because you've been broken and you want Jesus to fix that broken spot, I'll hug you. Susie and I want to minister. I, I don't know, is there a time frame that we got to be out of here? I'm done with the message basically, but I will stay here and love on every one of you.